0: Hey, as we uh, continue our series, our Lenten series uh, called Words from the Cross, Lent is the 40-day season in the church calendar leading up to Easter, and it's meant to parallel the 40 days that Jesus spent in the wilderness uh, being tempted by Satan uh, and the, a lot of the common uh, temptations that we might find as a, as a human being. In this series, we're investing six weeks uh, in focusing on the last six hours of Jesus' life. Uh, in this, in, on this earth. And in those six hours on the cross, Jesus spoke what are traditionally known as the seven last words. But they're more the seven last statements in general. Um, the nature of the crucifixion made it very difficult and painful to speak such words. Uh, so it seems that Jesus really wanted to get something important out to each of us. Today's statement is described as a loud cry particularly difficult to do given what happens to the body during crucifixion. So let us listen to the fourth word of the cross as we hear today's scripture reading. Our scripture reading today is from Mark 15, verses 29 through 36. Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, So! You, who were going to destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, come down from the cross and save yourself. In the same way, the chief priests and the teachers of the law mocked him among themselves. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. Let this Messiah, this King of Israel, come down now from the cross, that we may see and believe. Those crucified with him also heaped insults on him. At noon, darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. And at three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why are you forsaking me? When some of those standing near heard this, they said, listen, he's calling Elijah. Someone ran, filled a sponge with wine vinegar, put it on a staff, and offered it to Jesus to drink. Now leave him alone. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks Thanks be to be to God. Thank you, Jennifer and Esther. I have a wonder about us. Have you ever been picked on, mocked, ridiculed? Or been the one picking on and mocking others? You know, there are several movies over the years that show scenes of people being picked on, bullied, ridiculed, and even laughed at. And this is hardly an exhaustive list. Mean Girls, Karate Kid, Back to the Future, 13, Elephant Man, Stand By Me, Beauty and the Beast, Spider-Man, Goodwill Hunting, Carrie, and even a Christmas story. We often watch and wonder, "What would I do if I was in that same situation as the movie describes?" Or we remember all too well that that was me, and it still hurts to think about that, whether it was done to us or we were doing it whether we were bullied or hurling the insults. When I was in high school, we had a gentleman uh, in the class above me who was rather eccentric, uh, different. We might have said weird. Uh, probably was on the autism spectrum. We didn't have that language back in my day. And uh, Lawrence would, uh, was very bright, really intelligent. And, but he would take all of his books with him to every class he would go to. Now, he wouldn't carry them like this. He would carry them like this. And it all stuck to his side. And he would buzz around the hallway trying to get down to the next class. But he was an easy target with folks who wanted to knock those books out and people to laugh at him. And he would scurry to try to uh, gather those up with no one helping him. Not even me. It seems that very few of us will ever step in to help in circumstances like that, and that was true even in Jesus' day. Jesus spent his ministry life establishing his authority over a multiple of dominions. The gospel writers make this very clear. Jesus demonstrates his power over Satan by not being persuaded in his temptations in the wilderness, thankfully. Second, he demonstrates his power over evil spirits when he did not allow them to speak when they were exercised from people because they knew who he was. Third, he exercises his power over the human body by healing people with leprosy or those who had been paralyzed, or even those who had died. Fourth, he exercises authority over nature, in calming the storm, telling the wind and the waves to be quiet to be still. He walked on the water and he cursed and revived a fig tree. This man who demonstrated such power and love for others is now being insulted, mocked, ridiculed, and crucified. He's done so much for others. Now, those who watch said, let's see if he can help himself. Wait, what? What? Help himself? Doesn't that sound like the temptations that he had experienced in the wilderness following his baptism? In each of those temptations, Jesus, or excuse me, Satan was trying to get Jesus to serve himself. Turn a stone into bread to meet his hunger need. Test God's power and love by throwing yourself off a high cliff and see if God will save you. Satan showed him all the kingdoms of the world. And said, this could all be yours if you bow down and follow me. In each case, Jesus was, or Satan was trying to get Jesus to be selfish. And now, the religious leaders, the teachers of the law and the chief priests, are trying to get him to do the same thing. So, you who are going to destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, come down from the cross and save yourself. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself? Selfishness is the purest form of our sinful nature. Though Jesus could call down a legion of angels, he doesn't because he's singularly focused on his purpose to seek and to save the lost. His discipline to remain singularly focused, not succumbing to the jeers and the temptations of Satan or anyone else in his, his company, provides for us the atonement and reconciliation we as his creation so desperately need. I'll say more about that in a minute. But the ones who should have been most informed didn't get it. Those who saw the healing, saw his power over nature and evil spirits, didn't get it. They said, Though we have seen and heard you speak, we just need one more thing. Come down from that cross, and then we'll believe. Really? You've seen all of that before, and you need one more thing to prove that he is who he said he is? They didn't get it. Jesus says later, after his resurrection, he said, Blessed are those who have seen and believed. But more blessed are those who have not seen and yet still believe. It's past the 11th hour. It's noon. At darkness, excuse me, at noon, darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. Outside got very dark. For three hours, darkness prevailed. And at three in the afternoon, Jesus cries out in a loud voice, which meant, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? that moment jesus felt the depth of our sin the weight of it all he who knew no sin became sin for us the darkness is a sign of god's judgment for jesus the 3 hours of darkness Mean hell on earth. For three hours, sin in its universal and unadulterated form penetrates his soul until finally he becomes sin itself, says David McKenna in his commentary. Hence, why Jesus feels the depth of being forsaken. My God, my God. Why have you forsaken me? Forsaken is not a word that we use very much in our vernacular language. But according to Webster, forsaken means to renounce or to turn away from entirely. Now, I haven't experienced the depth of the emotions related to an earthly forsaking in my life but my wife's family has. Becky grew up with two sisters, one older, one younger, and her parents divorced when she was nine. And mom moved her girls from the West Coast to the Midwest. And the girls grew up on their own until her older daughter, older sister, in Becky's case, uh, started dating and hit adolescence And became very confrontational with mom. So much to the point that mom couldn't address it anymore, called dad and said, Would you take her? And he said, Send her out. Well, Mary went to the East Coast. And guess who followed? Her boyfriend. And the tensions and things that we experience in one place oftentimes follow us, they don't go away just because we change the environment. And the tension arose around uh, Mary and her father. And dad, instead of sending her back to mom, gave her an ultimatum. Said, you can stay here and live with me, but I forbid you to stay with this boy. And if you stay with him, I'm done. 16-year-old daughter, who do you think she chose? Yeah. They didn't speak to each other for over 30 years years now there's a good ending to that story but i can't imagine the pain that forsaking and being forsaken had conjured up for her family now the question arises in jesus situation did god forsake jesus Or did Jesus' faith fail? Again, Dave McKenna in his commentary on Mark says this, Rationally, it is impossible for us to reconcile these questions. Experientially, we who are sinners cannot understand what it means for Jesus, who knew no sin, to be made sin on our behalf. Nor can we who have so often broken communion with God feel the trauma of separation that is not of Jesus' choosing. Only our Christology can rescue us. Jesus is at once fully God and fully man, free from sin and sin itself, one with the Father and all alone. His person resolves our rational paradox and his purpose answers our experiential dilemma. Unless Jesus is made sin, which separates him from communion with the Father, there is no hope for our justification. Jesus willingly goes to the cross, endures the emptiness and the darkness of our sin so that we may be made right with God the Father. Yes, the religious leaders of the day did not get it, but neither did I. It is my sin that he went to the cross to pay. You see, I grew up going to a church my whole life and never, never fully grasped what Jesus dying on the cross really meant for us. It wasn't until I heard a message from a guy named Carl Nelson at a Young Life camp in Colorado that the lights came on for me at age 16 to really understand. And I don't really fully understand. But I'm reminded of this of the emptiness that forsaking means and that my life caused Jesus to go to the cross. Jesus is crying out on my behalf. He becomes sin so I might be restored in a relationship with the Father, that I might have life and have it to the full. Jesus says in John 10.10, the thief comes to to kill, steal, and destroy. But I have come that they might have life and have it to the full. Jesus endures the cross, being forsaken by the Father, though he has not abandoned him, so that I might be justified, reconciled, and my sin atoned for in order for my relationship with the Father to be restored. Remember, Jesus came to seek and save the lost. We were the lost whom he died for and now are among the found. I wonder again this morning, how many people in our lives don't know this truth? How many people hearing this message here in this sanctuary or listening online have not fully grasped all that Jesus has done for us? He's created each and every one of us. We are fearfully and wonderfully made. We are his beloved in all of our uniqueness. He endured the cross for my sin, for your sin, and for the sins of Alex Murdoch, Vladimir Putin, Bernie Madoff, Jeffrey Epstein, you name it. For we all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. None of us is worthy of his love or his atonement on the cross. Earlier I said that I would come back to this idea of atonement and reconciliation. This isn't exhaustive. We could do a whole message on those topics alone. But we who have sinned have no capacity to atone for our own self-centered nature. The penalty for sin is death. Separation from God. Hebrews 4 gives us some assurance of what Jesus has done who lived a sinless life and he's able to do what we couldn't do for ourselves. Hebrews 4 says, therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess for we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weakness. But we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Praise God. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Jesus came that we might have life and have it to the full. Now, if you're here this morning or listening online, I want to invite you to turn your life over to Jesus. He who knew no sin became sin for you. Jesus said in Mark 1:15, "The time has come. The kingdom of God is near or it's at hand. It's now. Repent and believe the good news. The kingdom of God is found in a relationship With Jesus Christ, and He's asking you to receive His grace today. It's time to repent of the way that you've been thinking. We cannot reconcile our relationship with the Father ourselves. Only Jesus' work on the cross and His resurrection can accomplish what we are in need of. Belief is far more than an intellectual assent to a certain set of beliefs or statements, it's about getting up. And following Jesus and his teachings. Now, I wonder, what might need to change today for a better tomorrow with Jesus? I want to invite our worship team up. We're going to do something a little bit different. We're going to pause here a minute. And they're going to sing a verse from a song that I want us to just reflect on. To think about as we think about what Jesus is asking and inviting each of us to do. dissertation we find, we call the book of Romans. He says if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead you will be saved for it is with your heart that you believe and it is with your mouth that you confess and are saved. I wonder You're here this morning and you've never talked to God and prayed for forgiveness, confessing Him as Lord. I want to invite you to do that now. Pray with me. Father God, maker of heaven and earth, forgive me for my part in sending your son Jesus to the cross. I turn my life over to you and receive your grace. I commit now to following you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Forgiveness was bought by the precious blood of Jesus Christ.